It's the most high quality burp ever. We can actually sell that as a Foley sound. That was disgusting. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Capiche Filmcast. Stephen Barry here with Francis Murphy. Yo, yo, yo. <laughs> it's good to be back in America, apparently. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so we uh, spoke in the last podcast about doing the Star Trek films as a series of podcasts we'll be doing. I haven't seen any, you are a massive Trekkie, and we spoke about the first film, and we watched the trailer, and kind of set ourselves up for this project. We've now watched that first film, Star Trek The Motion Picture, yep. and... Uh, yeah, let's let's get into this one. Fran, you were just, before we started recording, you were about to make a massive point. I mean, I told you to stop because I was like, well, you're essentially talking what, what we should be doing on air. So let's uh, continue where you were, what, what, what were you saying about the film as a whole, this film when it came out and how it, um, you said it's the slowest of the other films and the rest are a bit more action packed. Yeah, yeah, and and in fact, that's why it's important to start with this one. Like, say you've not seen the series, the original series that was out in the 60s, and you've not seen any of the movies or any of the next generation, the best place to start is Star Trek The Motion Picture, because if you can get through that and see the benefit of that movie and the, the good points of that film, then everything else is actually a bit easier. Also, you kind of, despite the fact that Star Trek, the motion picture, is so ponderous and slow, you do still get a sense of who the characters are as well. Um, and in fact, one of the points I was going to make was that you would probably already have identified characters that you quite like and that you identify with as well in some way from just watching the first film. Now, from someone who's never... <clears throat> seriously really watched Star Trek someone who's now watched this film how would you say your views have changed? In terms of what I initially thought of Star Trek in general or what I thought of this film going in before like, or what I would have perceived the film to be? Well those would be part of it but I suppose what I mean is that you've invested some time into watching this now mm -hmm. and that what's your feeling about it after having seen it? How does your feeling now having seen Star Trek the motion picture how is that in comparison to what you thought it might have been before I think it matched more or less what my uh, perception on, on the film was it was slow and I knew that going in uh, because I've listened to podcasts and yourself has explained that this is a very ponderous film I think overall I enjoyed it still overall with it, as a heavy qualification it was my expectations were set mm. whereas if you told me how awesome the film had been i would have been majorly disappointed yeah because it was it was it benefited from having kind of low expectations yeah uh, so i imagine maybe as an audience member at the time when that film came out maybe i don't know i haven't seen a lot of star trek episodes to know how that feels in comparison to those, did it feel like a, um, just a bigger budget version of one of those episodes? Because they were a bit <clears throat> slower, weren't they? Dialogue heavy, character driven. Yeah, but the, the thing is that what makes... I think there's a number of things that took place with Star Trek 1. So the first one is the meta, so the real world story, which is that Gene Roddenberry, who was the original creator of Star Trek, um, had kind of accidentally landed on a hit with Star Trek 
Um, and it, it ran for three seasons and then was cancelled, but then became a hit in syndication afterwards. And in the years between the series being off the... not being produced and Star Trek 1 being produced, um, the syndication run caused there to be a massive sort of um, uptick in fans who wanted to speak to Gene Roddenberry and wanted to meet the actors and loved it. And Gene Roddenberry very much kind of bought into the fan idea that Star Trek was this utopian society and it was very progressive and forward thinking when actually when you look at the original series it was very much in the whole kind of 60s sexual liberation movement and and in that sense it still had a lot of kind of maybe um, what you might call patriarchal or traditionalist views on the way things were so it wasn't really a utopia but by the time Star Trek 1 came out Gene Roddenberry had sort of drank his own kind of Kool-Aid he'd believed what the fans had said to the point where he almost rewrote his own history and with Star Trek 1 you see this kind of you know that that everything's a little bit more muted even down to the costumes which you had mentioned Steve uh, it's got this sort of 2001 A Space Odyssey ponderous slow almost yeah you know the vibe as you said was strong but it but it's almost as if so that's the meta so it slowed things right down everybody became almost kind of perfect there are flaws in the characters but everybody's a lot more um, muted than they would have been in the original show uh, I think that was part of it I think going back to 2001 A Space Odyssey I think that influenced it no doubt um, Star Wars didn't I think Star Wars would have in some way well it the made fact, them produce the film yes exactly but the studio realised space big space yeah. film get it in there yep but hence why in the same year Alien came out yeah but not the form not the, the form no, of the I, film I agree the form is completely different and in fact anyone going into that film thinking they were getting a Star Wars film would have absolutely but then again it's not science fantasy it's science fiction I, no, no so I, I agree the, the genre is different so the thing with Star Trek 1 a is that a lot of people don't know that though but true but then again in the 60s series you would have had episodes that maybe dealt with probes like this so so the story of Star Trek 1 is that there's there is basically an alien probe that's coming towards Earth it's threatening everything it turns out that it's a probe from Earth and it's come back to try and find its creator hundreds of years later is that just to be given the spoiler I suppose yeah. is that, is but I, don't, that I don't know if there's anybody who's not seen this yet yeah. and anybody I should probably have this disclaimer we're we're probably going to be giving spoilers away here. So okay, well, we, we can add off. that We can add that at the start, right? We'll, we'll do that at the start, right? Just in case anybody's desperate to see Star Trek 1, right? I don't know how many people would be who are just queuing up to see this, you know? Maybe people who have just come out of a coma and want a bit of action. Yeah. But the thing is that in the original Star Trek film, uh, sorry, TV series, there was a lot of dialogue, heavy ideas. There were stories that were actually... There was one story... Um, I can't remember the name of it, the name of the episode, but there was a story about a probe called Nomad in the original series that was launched by Earth and then came back looking for its creator and it had been modified. Exactly the same. But the difference with Star Trek 1 is that you had these 10, 20 minute long sequences of no dialogue at all interspersed in among the rest of it. Now, whether that's because they looked at their special effects and thought, my God, these are absolutely incredible. We just need to to have these viewed, these long sequences of music or not, I don't know. If you were to take those out, then it would be a very tight film. Now, there were exciting bits, like the bit where Spock puts on that jetpack and goes flying in. Yeah, yeah. The, the way it was shot, uh, again, that was very 2001. The symmetrical, like the 
the, mm-hmm. the lighting on his helmet and things like that it looked very 2001 and I appreciated that mm-hmm. you mentioned about the, the long language shots and I think initially and the tiny Enterprise on top yeah. of this massive ship in isolation they're all beautiful absolutely gorgeous visuals for its time as well as it, most of them kind of stand up to scrutiny now especially the still shots yeah I think if you took a still of those shots yeah they, they, they were they're gorgeous they were uh, you know can't take it away from that however probably overused a wee bit self-indulgent and I think well how many fun- times do you have to see George Takei going oh yeah. what is that I mean because there's probably about 10 different takes, almost identical shots it, of him looking at the screen it takes away the more that happens whereas if that first one was the one that was left and then maybe one mm-hmm. more later on that would have been fine but mm-hmm. it was just a, a, an actual it must have been at least 20 minutes do you know what? i actually find this when i'm writing some music i mean none of you in the podcast don't know this i mean you probably know that me and steve's brother mark have done some music work before but i write a lot of my own music and what i find is that when i hit on a a sequence of like a chord sequence or a and then i build a melody onto that that's very satisfying i want to my, my temptation is to repeat that a lot but then when I output the file, when I go and stand in the garden and listen to it, it's too long. It's just running on and on and on and on. And it's not as satisfying when it when it doesn't... It has to be short for it to be satisfying. It has to almost come unexpectedly and then be gone for you to want to play the song again. Hmm. And it's the same with a movie. There, some of the best scenes... Remember Cloverfield? Do you remember the bit in Cloverfield where the military just appears and it comes flying down the street, tanks and b- mm. bazookas and everything's just going nuts? That must be about 15 seconds. Yeah, it's a short right? scene. But that made me want to go and see that film again and again. Yeah. You don't see much film. of that in the film. Mm-hmm. It's what you don't see. Yeah. That film is very much that ethos. Yeah. Now, and I bet most start- good films really do wear that well. Now, you would agree with me, hopefully, on this, and that where Star Trek 1 gets it right is that it does not give you a hint about what the hell the thing is that they're dealing with. It builds mystery up amazingly. The tension is great. Uh, uh, slow built, mm. but there is, it's undeniable that there's a a mystery. There's a, a, a real uh, almost horror feeling to mm-hmm. and especially with the music cues mm-hmm. at times uh, that I really appreciated. You know, it felt like... Um, you know, a submarine uh, kind of film where they were diving into the deep. Or claustrophobic. Ah, it's claustrophobic feel. And I know that you were saying that's essentially what they've how, that's kind of how that the idea of Star Trek is. It's exploration in space but, you know, you could... But underwater definitely in this film. Yeah, so uh, I really appreciated that about it. Um, And the character beats, you know, these are characters that are finally, you know, meeting up again for the first time and was it five years or something was it two years well I I think what it is is that they've been together at this point by the time this film starts they had been together on the Enterprise for five years in deep space then they've spent two and a half years apart and now they're back together so that's seven and a half years and that's quite important because we had throughout the film as it was on we were talking about how shallow some of the stuff from the reboots felt because Kirk and Spock's relationship in the reboots was meant to emulate this, even though they'd only known known each other a month or two or even one year. Whereas in this, it's seven and a half years. So the investment it's real gravitas to uh-huh. any character moments they have, yeah, and like that moment with Spock uh, after he'd been exposed to the the sort of mind or whatever of 
Vija at the time mm-hmm. in the film, and he's explaining to Kirk, and he, he grabs his hand. Mm-hmm. It's quite a powerful moment. You can sense these characters, you know how you know this seven years, whatever the long term they've been together, mm-hmm. and it felt like a, a unique moment even for their relationship. And it was as simple as grabbing his hand. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing is that one one thing I was one of the points I was going to say at the start was, well, in fact, before we started recording was that by the time you finished with all of this when when we press the stop button on the last Star Trek original film you'll have seen them together for about 20 years then in their time so you'll have from Star Trek 1 have watched Kirk and Kirk for example is about 42 going to be in about 65, 70 it's kind of age and that's a, a journey that you go on with these characters where you go through parts of their lives and, and what they've experienced. And it's not massively bombastically crazy. You know, I mean, there are action elements in it, no doubt at all, but it's quite measured. And that's something that's quite interesting is that the gravitas that you can feel from watching a film like this when you don't have that much familiarity with the characters. Imagine the kind of... Imagine the how much more that's going to feel when you turn off the film where you see them doing their retirement mission. Yeah. Yeah. Now, my friend Adam, do you remember... I don't know, have you ever mentioned Adam on the podcasts no, before? No. So Adam is a good friend of mine. He may guest on this at some point, we don't know. But he's a, a, a bit of a... Star, not a massive Star Trek fan, but probably more than you were. But we watched Star Trek Six together years ago and he hadn't really seen any of the other ones. And that's the last one that the original crew are in. And he said he had this strange sense of feeling a bit safe with the crew, that they were these incredibly experienced people that were doing their final outing. Yeah. And, they, you know, they were all a bit tired of it, but, you know, they were older and they kind of knew what was going on and mm. there was a confidence in them Yeah. that maybe you haven't seen in this, if that makes sense. Uh, well, yeah, no, they, they, like you commented on it, they come across very professional, just doing their job. But that uh, arrogance but, that Kirk has in this film. Uh, yeah, he he's he's different, and I feel like he has to earn his trust and earn his stripes again almost with them. He's got the, the title of Admiral, but, you know, he kind of bullies his way back in to be the, the commander of the ship. Mm-hmm. against uh, Decker, who actually is the current commander. Which I think he does take a reduction she, to captain. Uh-huh. So he, he kind of demotes himself and yeah. demotes Decker in a way. Um, and he kind of has to earn, as much as most of them are kind of, you know, vouching for him, that moment with Uhura, sort of the comment she makes to the, the other colleague. Oh, about the chances says, doubling. Her, yeah, our chances have doubled now yeah. with him. So, you know, she's got his full support, but there's moments where you get the feeling, especially with uh, Scotty and, and McCoy when he joins, that uh, they need... Kirk to really show that he is mm-hmm. capable of still you know leading them to to safety and making the right decisions well that's interesting actually because there's there's a disparity between two sets of the crew so Uhura, Chekhov and Sulu are on board with Kirk they're also given the least amount to do in the film well they're sort of the they're the kind of ones that just sit there and say the like yeah it's they get a bit... it's on the beacon and stuff they don't feel yeah. like they're, they're real characters they, they get more to do in later films but they are they are sort of the less senior officers yeah. so if you look at the ranks they're lieutenants whereas 
Spock and McCoy are commanders. And Scotty is a commander as well. Oh, right, okay. And in Good. fact, towards the end, by the time of Star Trek VI, Kirk, Scotty, and Spock are all captains. I know, and Sulu as well. Sulu actually ends up getting his own ship, would you believe? Um, and that's probably not a spoiler because the, if you ever look into Star Trek, you'll probably see Captain Sulu come up, which I find really interesting. That's quite good. Um, but they end up being the highest ranked crew ever with four captains and uh, I think Uhura and Chekhov are commanders as it, as is McCoy. McCoy's a commander. All doctors in Starfleet are ranked commander. Right, okay. Because they're educated and mm. got that responsibility. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so it's quite interesting to see how th- the crew have a different feeling. I mean, Scotty, what you have to remember as well is that Scotty, Spock and um, McCoy all command their own departments. Whereas Chekhov, Sulu and Ahura don't. Sort of just bridge crew. Uh-huh. Yeah. So Scotty's in charge of, he, he, he is a command officer over his own mm-hmm. team of maybe however many, 40 people or 50. McCoy's got his doctors and nurses staff and Spock will have the science teams. So they will have more. And Spock is the first officer. Decker is in this film, but Spock is usually the first officer as well. So okay. he's second in command of the ship. So they're all going to have a bit more of a understanding of what command is. Mm. Yeah. Because they have to give orders. So yeah, I went on for a bit there. No, it's... Uh, I mean, how did do you know how this film did when it came out? We, we should have probably prepared and got some box office well, I, figures. I but... don't know the figures specifically, but it did very well for the opening weekend. Yeah. It did so well that they, they commissioned the second film. Yeah. But it didn't do well in terms of it did well in box it did well in box office and Maybe it did not. okay in reviews but it didn't I don't think I get the feeling it didn't blow critics away it, it it was almost like a Phantom Menace in the sense that the Phantom Menace did really well financially and got great reviews initially but then fell off a cliff in terms of the opinion uh-huh. and that's it's what happened how, with this it's funny how that happens but it's just the excitement with it's the exact same thing Star Wars returned Star Trek returned everybody wanted it rose tinted spectacles everybody was just so excited for it to be back I actually spoke to my dad about it who went to see it at the time tonight in the car before I came round and my dad was saying that he wasn't disappointed by the film but after seeing Star Wars it changed everything which what 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 Star Wars? So nineteen seventy seven, obviously Star Wars came out. My dad went to see that in the cinema after having been a Star Trek fan, and oh, then went to see right. this in nineteen seventy nine. Right, yeah. And you. that maybe they weren't ex- they weren't expecting it to be like that, and that it wasn't. You know, people were looking at their watches a little bit in terms of. Well, that's what, what I was trying to say. Is it, it's what they call not... it Star Trek, the slow motion picture. Right. That's the thing. Is that, it, that was the joke. Yeah, because it, it it is a bit. Um, again, but, you, but, it, but the thing is though right I always imagine Star Trek 1 is a bit of granite right that's not been cut the the, sh- the right shape is in there mm-hmm. you could cut that film to being a really creepy quite suspenseful drama mm-hmm. because it's not too short and being cut too much the wrong way it's just not been cut yeah it's, it's an unedited film it's not a complete movie. Yeah. And I think there's enough emotional stuff in it. I mean, it's a bit with, a bit with Spock and stuff, I think, mm-hmm. was good. Um, 
and 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 obviously Shatner is is great in it. Uh, I think there's enough emotional stuff. Maybe um, were you surprised by Shatner's understated performance? I suppose a little. Because um, you get the idea with Shatner that he's going to be, you know, claiming the scenery, but he he was quite reserved. I suppose now I think of it, yeah, I suppose he was a bit, wasn't he? Um, yeah, it's the sort of thing I'd need uh, maybe a second view, you know, and, and also not knowing. Let's have to take a week off work to view it again. I know, not uh, <laughs> not having watched the original series to remember what you know he, he was like. It's been I'm talking about childhood memories, really. Um, I kind of need to watch the others, and then I would remember. Oh God, he was really understated, but I suppose you're right. Um, maybe it was those uniforms. <laughs> it's quite possible that they, they were muted by the beige. Aye, uh, they weren't great. Salmon coloured and. Yeah, but that was the style of the time. I know. And they obviously want to differentiate from the TV show, maybe make it a bit more significant, but I suppose I'm assuming they change again. Uh, well, let's dive into some lore because what I need to do is is explain. I need to fill in the gaps for you here from before the film and, and after the film because that's not going to be spoilers. So basically what, what happened was the Enterprise was originally commanded by a guy called Captain Christopher well he's the second captain Captain Christopher Pike and Spock was on the ship then and then Kirk takes over and Spock remains on board and they go out for the five years and then they come back now Spock has some sort of bad experience um, to do with maybe because Spock is half human so he lets some of his emotions get in the way at some point and I think it causes a crew member to be hurt or something happens and then he goes back to Vulcan to go through the, what they call the colonar ceremony to purge himself of remaining emotions Kirk accepts a promotion to Admiral um, probably unwisely maybe his ego allow, pushes him rather than allows pushes him to accept a promotion too soon when he's too young for it and then what you what what you see in Star Trek the motion picture is Spock and Kirk dealing with the mistakes they've made and among the rest of this story that's gone on here. After this, well, what I should explain as well, I suppose, is that outside the the personal circumstances of these characters, um, prior to Star Trek the motion picture, the Federation is in a sort of exploratory phase. So they're it's vibrant. Starfleet is out there exploring the fringes of the galaxy and it's still kind of ongoing in Star Trek the motion picture which is why there's no ships about because they're all away in the the, the frontiers and you were saying this is peacetime isn't it? Uh-huh. so it's, yeah it's peacetime so you know there's no there's a bit of a cold war with the Klingons but there's no, n- guns aren't being fired nobody's at war with each other the Federation's exploring and that's why the Enterprise is the only ship there basically so in the events of the film so it goes from vibrant to be a, a bit muted and maybe a bit decadent but in the interim period between this film finishing and Star Trek 2 which is about 8 years there's a bit more of a flare up with the tensions between the Federation and the Klingons and there's an element of that with the Romulans as well so that's all in the lore so when you revisit the crew in Star Trek 2 the uniforms are more militaristic the procedures are more militaristic. Everybody is a bit more kind of on their, you know, they're at the top form. Mm-hmm. And you know, and, and that's realistic because that's the way it is. Mm-hmm. People yeah. tend to get a bit decadent and a bit more relaxed when there's not 
yeah action going on yeah, no requirement no uh-huh. real requirement no urgency to it yep I and base, the pacing of the film as well well bear in mind the federation is a post-scarcity society so they don't you were saying about the crew not like missing crew members not getting compensation there's no money <laughs> so there's no in order for humans to this be driven to do something to give some context there was a comment i made when we we're watching it when <laughs> kirk first of all announced as a fatality or a casualty the uh, death of decker um and then strikes him off and says no change it he's missing and i made a comment saying and obviously you were saying how how ignanious of him you know yeah and i said well that i'm sure decker's family would yeah. feel the same that's it's a lot of money they've just lost at the moment <laughs> Well, you wouldn't have any idea, would you? I suppose it's it's a society that's gone beyond needing money. But that's why what you tend to find with the Federation is that in and out of wartime, it changes dramatically how they behave. It's almost sad, I suppose, in a way that humans would need a, a conflict to display their efficiency. But I suppose that's, that's natural, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I think that's probably covered most of what we want to talk about for this film overall like i said i liked it i liked it there was there was things to like i liked uh i, I liked the, the cast i thought were great i thought the character beats were great it was um well established and i thought the imagery um was beautiful music was great um just like we've talked about a little too languid and self-indulgent with the mm-hmm. uh, the pacing of the film. The editing is probably where it's fallen short, I would say. Um, do you think as a climax, was it enough? The build-up being so dreadful and, and the real... So, and do you feel that there was the climax actually matched? I think... I'd feel, I feel it was... I, I don't know. I feel a little underwhelmed. I think... I don't know if it's the fact that it was the Voyager probe that underwhelms you as much as it's the fact that they kind of dealt with it really fast and it warped away at the end like I, I, I feel like that's what it is maybe I think to me they... that's the direction uh-huh. it's not so I like the twist I like that human see like say for example you had life. that twist and then they said they, they, they went down to report to Starfleet and that was the end of the film like and you knew that there was going to, they had to go and explain all this and that there was some sort of consequences to it that humanity had created a godlike probe by accident whereas what we got was the probe does what it has to do earth is saved and then kirk's like right well you know decker's missing and Ilya's missing um what are we gonna do but warp to that that way let's go you know kirk doesn't even go back to the port now the lore does cover some of that because there is an element of maybe that wasn't the right thing to do um but i don't i think it i think if the film was to end i think the the way that it ended with the twist and decker and ilea what i wouldn't say too much but what happened with them was satisfying it, it felt natural especially the scenes of ilea given those eyes do you remember we were talking about that yeah very alluring beautiful cinematography of, mm-hmm. of them walking towards each other mm-hmm. and then this I don't know what conflation everything coming together and then the Enterprise coming out at the end but 
it's from the point of the enterprise emerging from that cloud that i felt it was just too rushed it was like oh we've got we've got it done now let's just yeah it felt like maybe there was a scene cut out uh-huh. um and that's maybe <clears throat> where the sort of a the underwhelming feeling kicked in because i did feel a bit short slightly after the massive build-up. Uh-huh. I think it's because to... they spent so long building it up that you'd expect them to give you a bit of time coming down as well. And I think as well, because the film was so long in terms of the, the lots of dialogue, lots of uh, long shots and pacing was slow, I suppose you needed some maybe release in terms of a wee bit of action and an actual... Uh, now the direction they went with it was all solved with talking and a sort of I mean, it felt maybe some action was needed well alternatively what could have happened is you could have had a scene that cut to <clears throat> say Kirk and Spock and McCoy coming out from their debriefing on earth and looking up and seeing like an old church in San Francisco where Starfleet Command is and McCoy maybe says something like like there's a people used to believe in a creator as well you know and but like V'ger did mm-hmm. and maybe Spock says something like it's not logical but logic isn't always the answer or whatever and then maybe they have a conversation about it you know as they're walking along and then Kirk says you know maybe what we need to do is find what we need and maybe in order to do that we have to get back on the Enterprise again and get back out there and they have that conversation. Yeah. The three of them. Mm-hmm. And then that leads into them back on the ship and they're saying, right, okay, we're, we're where we need to be. We don't know what we're looking for, but that's why we do this. Yeah. And it ties it into the future, doesn't it, then? It does feel, overall, it's the edit that's maybe the issue. I don't know if it's the script or the director. Um, I mean, is it obvious that I'm such a Star Trek fan that I've actually thought a scene that I would add to the end of a Star Trek film. It's good for this because we we need your expertise on the subject for these. Yeah, okay, let's uh, let's let's kind of we're coming to the end now. Overall, we'll rate the film on a 5-star scale. Now, it's a tricky one because we're talking about a film that came out in 1979. So, times have changed, all that kind of stuff. Would you rate it on the time it came out or but you, ha- you can only really rate it now and how you feel about it now yeah I, that's true to my feelings I already know like I, I know I've always felt that it was for me a 3 out of 5 yep that's, I agree I agree I was tinkering at the first half of the film I thought you know what I could go to a 4 here it was never going to be a 5 and I, I didn't feel I wasn't mm-hmm. enjoying myself to go as low as a 2 mm-hmm. that would be harsh considering at the time it came out and everything else but it, it sits very comfortably as a three star film it's interesting because it does feel like a film that goes up to a four and then goes back to a three yes and it's of course it's that towards that last that last act if you were to break it down to bits I would give special effects five I'd give pacing two well editing so, yeah. yeah so there's, there's the three comes from that mixture mm-hmm. Yeah, and the cast in general, I'd say performances were fine, I would say. I wouldn't say there was like a a real strong 
scene that you just it's the scene that you, it's the talked about scene you know like mm-hmm. certain you can talk star star wars does the so well, just you wait for the next film exactly exactly which is why i know that the next film hopefully is going to match that in terms of actually what's interesting dialogue memorable well, you don't always want scenes. that to be in the first film though no uh, the empire strikes backs like that because i love you i know all of these things you know i, I what, it's it's not just I am your father all that kind of thing like the original Star Wars is great but it's a lead-in movie in a lot of ways I would would disagree that's very reductive the first Star Wars is 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 littered with amazing dialogue no it is it is but it's It's, to me if I was if I was to let's say it just totally casually like someone said give me your Star Wars dialogue it's going to come from Empire Strikes Back from me and and I think a lot of people would agree with that but that's because a lot of people don't a lot of people I mean look maybe at, I, I don't think as deeply about Star Wars as I do about Star Trek so a lot of people are going to fall on that they're going to fall on the like it's it's like tossing cards down like there, there's going to be a pattern you know you're going to have a a stack that's higher I mean I think some of Han's best moments come in that first film in Leia walking carpet well, your worshipfulness your worshipfulness uh, you, you, aren't you a little short for a stormtrooper Sort you know, of no reward is 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 worth this. I mean, this just it's brilliant. But that that's another podcast. We'll do the Star Wars films. I guess my point is that you wouldn't want your best moments to come in the first. Oh, I, I think just, that's why you never put your best track as the first one on an album. I don't think they've filmed this with the idea of definitely doing a trilogy or anything like that. No, but it's almost like it's almost like you work backwards from the fact that you will never do your best work the first time. So it is but it is better for it to be the second one anyway. So it actually works better but you hit your groove With later. Insight, yeah, but I think in a, in a film, you're watching a film, we've devoted this time to a film, I think you want some killer scene. No, but actually I don't because I know that once you've seen this, Star Trek 2 is going to be fucking awesome. Yeah, exactly, which is... A great... I actually, should I swear? I don't know. That's fine. It's We're an adults. So it's fine. <laughs> but it is... I can't describe Star Trek 2 any other way. Well, Star uh, Trek 2 is more enjoyable for having seen this. Yeah. No, I, I'm really looking forward to it. And I think that's a bit good... Fine, that's a good final note to end on then. Or lead into Star Trek to The Wrath of Khan. Uh, yeah, so... We'll not... Pl- we'll not get an exact date when we're going to do it, but we'll hopefully do it at some point soon. Probably tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, possibly. Uh, okay, that's us. Uh, Daryl, beam me up, Scotty. Live long and prosper. <laughs> Thank you. Bye bye. See ya. I like this voice. I might use this in the future. My name's Stephen. So happy to be here. <laughs> See what it sounds like actually when you are quite far away? And to how what kind of level you need to speak at? Well, let's test it out. So this is me talking normally, and then this is me talking a bit louder. And then this is me really shouting. <laughs> and I just don't know what's going on. <laughs>